Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined by Tommy, and we are one week closer to the draft lottery. It'll be a month away tomorrow. I'm excited, man. It's a big day. It's definitely a big day. It feels like it's really far away right now. We've got the playoffs in the meantime, but it's definitely a long time to wait. And I think this is a common theme for Pistons fans. Uh, The season had its ups, had its downs. Pistons finished in 28th, so third in the draft lottery odds. And that's the, you know, the next, the first big date and what's going to be a very important offseason for the Pistons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Pistons are still in the early stages of the rebuild. A lot of things, a lot of pathways this can take. So these early stages, they definitely affect out the way that this goes. So uh, everything's critical right now. Yeah, everything's very important with the draft, uh, draft, I would say, especially, but uh, yes, yeah, so we're going to talk uh, actually primarily in this episode uh, about the offseason. I guess that's no surprise at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we spent much of last episode, uh, you know, doing a bit of a season retrospective. And uh, yeah, now we're looking forward. So uh, one thing I think we should talk about is the press conference that Dwayne Casey and Troy Weaver held. I think that was last week. And uh, there were a lot of good tidbits in there about how the Pistons plan to continue building. Yeah, it was definitely refreshing. I mean, when you hear these guys talk, Troy Weaver especially, they definitely seem like guys who who have this vision in place and they they want to stick to their guns and kind of see this thing through no matter what. And I, I can respect that. I mean, you don't want to be it, – it works until it doesn't, but I would say to this point it's worked very well. And uh, I, we, I think we're both very happy with the, the way that they've taken things and the way they've approached rebuilding the Pistons. Absolutely. So one thing, like I, probably the – most prominent theme of the press conference is how the Pistons plan to continue building. Now, as we all know, the Pistons are going to have a great deal of cap space this summer. And in fact, there are only four, perhaps five teams in the NBA who will have actual cap space. Uh, Those are the Pistons, the Magic, the Spurs, the Grizzlies, and maybe the Trailblazers who may or may not operate as an above the cap team uh, that gets into some complicated uh, salary cap related stuff. But uh, Portland may or may not operates in a way that leaves them cap space. So that of course begs the question, you know, will the Pistons go full speed ahead, you know, try to sign whoever they can in free agency, use that cap space right now and, and try to make as big of a step forward as they can through free agency this summer. And by everything that Troy Weaver has said and Dwayne Casey has said, and from everything we know, even before that, about how they've chosen to operate, the answer is definitely no. Yeah, honestly, when you watch this press conference, it honest, it feels like the way that he's approaching every aspect of this rebuild is really not about like how can we get better quickly. It's really more about can we bring in the guys who will continue to further this culture that the team is building, you know, this locker room uh, that Dwayne Casey is working hard to cultivate. And credit to Casey, I mean, it really seemed like the guys were buying in. And that's a difficult thing to do in a season where you've had these extended losing streaks. The team is very young. So those two working together, uh, Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey, Dwayne, you know, leading these guys in the locker room and then Troy Weaver giving him guys who are coachable. Uh, it's, it's really seemed to work well so far. So it was very encouraging to see that Troy is still prioritizing these guys who are uh, high character. He says people, not players, uh, in terms of who he likes to bring in. And that philosophy definitely carried. And he mentioned it a lot in this press conference. Yeah, absolutely. He said that uh, when he took first took over the Pistons, that he wanted to build this team in a mold of the great Pistons teams of the past. Those, of course, the bad boys and the going-to-work Pistons. Uh, teams full of hardworking guys who compete on every play on both ends. 
and to play for the team, play for each other and not for their own individual performance. And uh, he was asked in this press conference, you know, how hard is it to stay disciplined in terms of bringing in the right guys and, and not compromising that sort of method uh, or that's that sort of selective process that selects really heavily for character. So how how difficult is it to stay disciplined and not compromise for a guy who might not have the right character, but is more talented? And Weaver was just very unequivocal about this. They are not willing to compromise on character. Uh, he considers doing otherwise, uh, you know, bringing in guys who are, who are not high character players to, to be a shortcut that isn't sustainable. And he is all about building a sustainable model. And his words, we don't want to just appear, we want to arrive. And he said it might take longer in some other people's minds, but not in theirs. He thinks they're building and, and that they're building the right way and that they're always going to make sure the people that they bring in are the right sort of people to help the team grow. Right. Absolutely. You can tell that they're approaching this with like the long term in mind. They're not trying to get better year over year. They're working towards being well, contenders. I think they're trying to get better year over year, but. Oh, yeah. To... Yeah. But it's like when I say that, I think of like the Pistons teams of the past, like the 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 person who shall not be named, like what they kept trying to do was <laughs> whenever they had cap space, they would spend it and they would they I don't know what the plan was there. It feels different make than the playoffs. That, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Make the playoffs. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, maybe make the playoffs, but I feel like maybe they, and I, certainly the fan base, there were people who thought um, they would just continue to get better. And You can say his name. Stop. It's not going to bother me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, I don't know what Stan's philosophy was. Like, I mean, the team kind of fluctuated around 40 wins for like four years. They never really seemed to get better, but this Pistons team, because of where they're starting, obviously they're starting from a lower win standpoint, but... Uh, they have a lot more flexibility. They have a lot of young talent that will continue to develop. So it feels different. And uh, that's important. Oh, Van Gundy. I mean, I, I know that he wasn't, uh, he wasn't allowed to do this by Tom Gores. I mean, when he went into his second season after he pretty much rebuilt the team completely after the first season, just traded away a lot of guys, uh, you know, Greg Monroe hit the road. That wasn't the greatest because the Pistons weren't able to trade him. He took the, the qualifying offer. Hardly anybody does that. But uh, of course the team, that he inherited was a mess, but he chose to keep it that way by refusing to trade Josh Smith when he had the opportunity. I could have traded him to Sacramento and so on and so forth. Uh, Van Gundy also did not select for character in the least bit. I mean, the guy had absolutely and utterly no, he put no importance on it at all, which is why the Pistons ended up with Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond as the, as the cornerstones of their team. And Jackson, by the end of his tenure in Detroit, a uh, model teammate, absolutely model teammate in, in Los Angeles when he first came in, was hard on the heels of him forcing his way out of Oklahoma City in a horrendously self-centered and unprofessional fashion in the way that nuked his trade value. And this is kind of like the thing where it's like, you know, if the dude did somebody else, will do it to you. I mean, he was highly egotistical in his first couple of seasons and Drummond was Drummond. Of course, we know that. He had an awful mentality. And, and those teams didn't really have that sort of cohesion or mental toughness. Uh, you know, the environment, I have to think, wasn't the greatest and whatever. That's long in the past, but... <laughs> It's like you said, him and, and late stage Dumars before him. I mean, the Pistons were operating on such a horrendously short-sighted model for about 10 years, and it was miserable, and it went nowhere. Right, right. And the other problem in the Stan Van Gundy era was obviously bad contracts. I mean, we just finished paying Josh Smith, like, what, a year or two ago? A year ago. Like Griffin, Once, I think yeah. his, yeah, his money yeah, just came half. off the books. Yeah. yeah. And that's another difference uh, that seems to be there with Troy Weaver because – one of the things that he said, actually, when he first got to Detroit, and this was in his introductory press conference, Christian Wood was a free agent, and one of the reporters asked about him, and Troy said, I have a number in mind, and he was talking about uh, average annual value or you know whatever the contract number, 
Troy Weaver doesn't seem like a guy who likes to overpay just so he can get a guy. And mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of discussion about various free agents in this fairly weak free agent class. Guys like DeAndre Ayton, Miles Bridges, Jalen Brunson. Uh, all these guys are on teams who currently really need their production because there's no easy way for those teams to replace them if they were to leave. So I don't think Troy is going to overspend just for the sake of getting one of these guys. Even if he can. Uh, I think he has... Right. And yeah. yeah. And that's, that's a good point. Like a lot in most of these cases, I think uh, the yeah, teams that they're currently on are Aiden able Bridges. to way more. Right. Well, Aiden and Bridges. I mean, if they decide they want to match it, I mean, they, they have all the control teams who have restricted free agent rights on a player have all the control over what happens to that player. So right. yeah, the Pistons, no team can just, you know, can drag Aiden or drag Bridges away from, from Phoenix or from Charlotte, unless those teams are okay with it. Right. And even for the Pistons to begin to, you know, pull one of those guys away by making an offer that the other team wouldn't want, uh, it would probably be the Pistons way overpaying. Uh, That's just the way that restricted free agency works these days. And from this press conference, it really seems like the Pistons aren't going to pay anybody any amount that they don't think they're worth just for the sake of bringing them in. I think Troy's mentality is I have a number in my head and I'm not going to exceed that, which is good for... Uh, avoiding bad contracts. Well, definitely. I mean, I, I think it just goes back to the Swoburn uh, team building philosophy. I mean, they're really focusing on culture and only bringing in guys whom they feel fits that environment, so, you know, fit that culture. And so they're not going to shortcut it that way. And well, I mean, just even that the, the focus on that philosophy just shows the methodical way in which they're approaching this rebuild. And that's been enabled, fortunately, by Tom Gores, the owner who for eight seasons eight or nine seasons uh, after he took over the team in 2011, refused to rebuild, thought, you know what, in order to be just got to build a winning culture as if that was an end to anything and just got to try to win as much as possible. Got to win, got to build that culture. The guy's just obsessed with culture. But in a season on press conference, he came in and said some things which were pretty radical for him, like really kind of revolutionary stuff Uh, in particular. Well, what I'm referring to in particular, it's like not things. This is the thing he said, which is, uh, you know, we're able to build a culture while losing uh, and, and, and to be honest, losing is the best thing for us right now. And I'm talking about draft position and it's like, oh my goodness, like he finally <laughs> gets it. But I think yeah. it's also a really big deal to him that, that Weaver and Casey are, are able to build and maintain what he sees as, as a, as a great team culture while they're losing. Uh, but that was also comforting because I, I think we can reliably say that at least for now, uh, Gores is not going to be pushing uh, this management team anywhere that they don't want to go. Right. Right. And you mentioned, you know, the job that Dwayne Casey and Troy Weaver have done threading that needle, you know, losing games, preserving draft position while also keeping a healthy locker room. That is a difficult task. And it's definitely those two working together towards that goal because Dwayne Casey, I mean, for all the criticisms that we've had for him and his X's and O's, He's definitely a great guy to have in your locker room as the head coach, you know, leading these young guys. Uh, he mentioned, you know, showing them how how to win, you know, building winning habits is what they called it. Yeah. And then Troy Weaver is is the guy bringing these people in, you know, these guys who are coachable, who want to work hard, basketball junkies. And I think that's a, a winning combination because the culture of this team is certainly one of hard work, effort on every play. We're seeing it. Uh, they talked about how they had prioritized their defense, and that's really important for a young team. Yeah, and they're going to legitimately build that see the difference. Yeah, yeah, you see the difference in in what this is versus the team from two, three, four years ago. It's mm-hmm. it's working very well, I'd say. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, the idea is to build a team that is more than the sum of its parts in every situation to build a team that is more than the sum of its parts. And one of the ways you can, you can absolutely lend, uh, one of the ways you can ensure that a roster or at least give the best chance for a roster to be that way is by fielding again, you a bunch of players who are just very high character. I mean, it, it has to go beyond that with the talent and with the fit as well, but but yeah, like I said, definitely demonstrative of the highly methodical approach they're taking to building this team, no shortcuts. And uh, another question that he was asked with respect to the upcoming free agency uh, was you know, about fan expectations of really making a huge step this summer. And he said uh, you know, that expectations are what they are. The team is going to stay true to its building process, that he would never put a cap on the team. That, that's an important one. And uh, in this process, they'll stay with their core values and get the right people. And that's a very important concept that, you know, obviously Troy Weaver fully understands is not putting a ceiling on your team by making the wrong moves or making what might be the, maybe the right moves too early. Like, okay, you get Cade and you go out and spend whatever you can in free agency and try to feel the best team possible and kill your draft position uh, or something. I mean, I guess that's not a great example, but just doing things at the right times and not doing something that's going to put a ceiling on the team going forward because they want this team to be a contender and to be a sustainable contender. Right. And I think that while the team has this flexibility where they're able to keep adding these young players with either good picks uh, until their pick, who owns our pick once we make the playoffs? That's the Thunder right now. Is it the Thunder? Yeah. Yeah. They traded it in the, in the, I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. They own basic damn. I wonder what percentage of, (laughs) of uh, future picks in the league they own right now. It's gotta be pretty high. They're going to have to get rid of some of them at some point. I feel like they have too many. They do. First round picks to even use all of them anyway. But yeah, no, I mean, they talked about how they're going to be aggressive and I feel like that could be, if, if you just, if you don't take it in context, that could be seen as like, we're going to look to get better, but they were talking about being aggressive and turning over every stone, looking for every opportunity to make the team better. Because one of the things that Troy acknowledged is that the team still does lack talent, uh, but he more, was yeah. adamant about well, adding talent it. without sacrificing. I wouldn't say that they, he said that they lack talent, but he said that they really need to continue to add it. Yeah, yeah, he said add talent, and uh, but without sacrificing the culture and their their philosophy in terms of the people that they bring in, which is very important. And you know, as long as they have this flexibility and this ability to bring in guys. I don't think that they're going to rush it. So they don't have rookie extensions starting to hit until I think 2024. So it's not uh, like they need yeah. to add um, need to add anybody right this second. If they don't find the right guys or at the right number, I don't think they're going to this season. It's it's different from what we've seen in the past, where it's like once they ha- and once the Pistons have money to spend, they just spend it immediately. That's how you end up with a contract like John Lewis. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think that that's going to happen this offseason. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just to continue on with what he said on that uh, on that subject, actually, he said that again. You said they'll be aggressive this summer, turn every turn over every rock, and yeah, that's I agree with you. Basically, means look for the right opportunities. If the right opportunities aren't there, then you don't do it. But uh, he said that he intends again on the team arriving and not being a flash in the pan. You know, they want to get there, they want to stay there and be built to last, and that's the approach that they're going to continue to take. I think that is absolutely wise in every capacity. Uh, so yeah, build it right. I'd wait for the right opportunities, and and keep that culture. And a nice thing actually about coming up to twenty twenty four. So that's uh, that's Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, and 
Sadiq Bay. Now, two of those guys, Stewart was number 16 and Bay is number 19, have very small cap holds. So even if the Pistons are carrying a lot of cap space into that summer, I'm looking at guys like Jalen Brown or Devin Booker, they'll, they won't really be impeded by those cap holds uh, unless they had signed the extensions in the season before, which may actually be the case with Sadiq. Uh, but probably not Isaiah, and I would guess probably not Killian, though his will be you know, significantly larger. Anyway, that's that's getting into the far future and uh, and capholds and, and whatnot. But uh, definitely, uh, I know for both of us, very encouraging to hear all of this stuff, even though we think we pretty much knew it already. Yeah, I mean, Troy, like he said, he's he's sticking to his philosophy, and that hasn't changed, and we appreciate that because we don't want shortcuts. It's like he said, we don't want to cap this team, uh, get too good too fast. We, everybody's good, aware that the team needs more talent, and it's it's yeah. refreshing to hear them say the same thing. I wouldn't say too good too fast. I would just say I'd build the team in a way that that prevents it from making any any further progress, the progress that it would need to become a contender, uh, to become a championship caliber team. Yeah, I mean, I from you know I understand what you're saying. You don't want to ruin your draft position ahead of the you know wait to, to, too early, which fortunately didn't happen. Right. Uh, but I remember, you know, one thing that, that Troy actually said in the press conference, I mean, he really praised the performance of the Pistons after the All-Star break, thought that they really got it together, uh, particularly defensively. And, you know, the Pistons were, I think, a top 10 defensive team after the break. They were playing largely pretty easy competition. But uh, nonetheless, that's something. They did play a lot better. And he said that uh, he and Casey both said, I believe that's probably the most important thing to come out of this season is that the guys learn what it takes to win. Uh that said, I think it's telling that the Pistons, uh, you know, that that was important, but the Pistons also did what they had to do to preserve their draft position. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't all let's win as much as we can for the sake of this. It was, it's like, this is great, but there's also something else that's important here and that's getting the best odds that we can. Well, right. without, and, without going horribly overboard and like several other teams did. Right. And, you know, they mentioned that the, that post all-star break performance and how well they played and, they said it was just really, really good for the team. That was another yeah. thing that kind of stuck out to me. But I just wanted to make it just worth mentioning, you know, as well as things went in terms of lottery position and all of that, uh, it was important that the team did get some wins there at the end. I, I think that worked out for the best. I, I, like I said, I think they threaded the needle really well. Yeah, um, yeah, we can fall all the way down to seven, but our Unlikely. overall odds at the top, yeah. they're they're where they should be. So well yeah, done. Definitely. Though. Yeah, I think they have something like, I don't have the odds in front of me. It's well under 10% chance of falling to seven, if I remember correctly. Uh, but I could be yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, another definitely another successful year for the rebuild. <laughs> it's worth noting that a great deal had to go wrong in order for the Pistons to end up 28th. Uh, Weaver went over that. So I don't know if you want to say, you know, yay, great that things went wrong. However, if the Pistons go into the lottery and end up with, the, you know, a top three pick, then, you know, well, whatever. Things happen as they happened. But uh, they went on to talk about just more culture stuff. Uh, guys, uh, you know, particular guys like Sadiq Bay, whom they basically told this summer uh, to try to get more of a life outside of basketball because all he wants to do <laughs> is work on basketball. And, uh, uh, you know, Cade and, and the leadership that he brought to the team, uh, I thought it was really poignant what we were said about, uh, you know, we wanted to draft a leader in this draft in, in 2021. It was important for us to draft a leader. Uh, James Edwards of the Athletic actually wrote an article in which he confirmed that because uh, we had heard back last summer that Kate had had a really bad workout, and it turns out that that was actually true. <laughs> but they didn't; that just didn't matter. You know, they thought so highly of him not only as a player but also as a leader, and 
they said that he came in and, and really filled a niche as uh, as the team's probably most vocal leader. That also is just a player on the floor who basically knows what's happening, knows what all of his teammates are going to do. And that was just really cool to hear. I don't think you're going to find that. I think Kate will be the best player in terms of skill. And also he has definitely has a leadership quality that, you know, definitely uh, Evan Mobley or Jalen Green do not. Right. That was that was definitely a case where his reputation preceded him. And thank goodness, because I, I'm thinking back to that draft cycle. There was news that Jalen Suggs also had really bad workouts for the Raptors. And ultimately they were bad enough that they passed on him and good decision by them. They got Scotty Barnes and yeah. Suggs ended up going to the magic, but thankfully the Pistons didn't look at Cade's workout and say, yeah, no, we got to pick somebody else. So mm-hmm. we lucked out there or, you know, you can credit Weaver and Casey and whoever for just making the right decision because we got the right guy. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was going to be the decision unless something really radical happened. I mean, I, I think, I think we can, we can allow for that. I mean, Cade was the consensus number one overall pick. He, he played really well in college. He just he had all the intangibles. And I don't think just one bad workout was really going to do anything for that. But I mean, what I'm thinking about right now in terms of how the Pistons have conducted themselves or how the front office and, and, and the coaching staff have, have conducted themselves such that the Pistons are where they are. You look at them compared to, for example, Orlando, which is kind of like a mess of players. You know, you hope Cole Anthony works out. You hope Jalen Suggs works out. Bamba has been a disappointment, you know, faults, poor faults with his injuries. Uh, the Rockets, who also just don't just seem like kind of a – have very little cohesion. They're kind of a mess. Uh, the Thunder, of course. I mean, yeah, it's just that in terms of getting some decent some, – some very important, not decent, very important core personnel and just maintaining – building and maintaining a hardworking team culture – uh, the Pistons have are just far ahead of those teams in that, or at the very least, have just done a much better job. So, I mean, I, I can't even imagine what it did for that. <laughs> you know, if, it, if this is a factor for them, for team culture, the Thunder, where it's like, okay, well, guys, you're a little sore. We're going to sit you for the rest of the season. Now uh, we're just going to bring in as many guys as possible, no-name players, and we hope can help us lose. And, oh, hey, Mr. Sar, you played too well. You're no longer on the team. Uh, like <laughs> Stuff like yeah. that. Uh, who knows? Maybe it maybe it won't have any long term impact going forward. But I I gotta think it's it's a loss of sorts because yeah no I mean yeah. like just going back to what Casey said about you know the the winning down the stretch excluding those last few games. I mean they said that it really really helped you know the locker room. I know that Kate even mentioned in his press conference how you know some of those losing streaks really really adversely affected him and his confidence and yeah. I don't know if he said his confidence, but uh, just the way that. Yeah, not his confidence. Were nothing going, nothing seems to nothing seems to affect his confidence. But he said it well, was he said it was difficult on players that to right. lose that fourteen in a row. I think. Yeah, yeah. He said that it was just a rough time, and then Casey said, like you know, the film sessions, all the the mood in the locker room, everything was improved when they when they started to play better after the All Star break. So ultimately, I think they you know the progression through the season was really really good for them. They started from such a low point, and you know, when you compare that to where they ended up, you know, there was a lot of progress all around by these guys. So a lot of um, development within the organization. And that's exactly what we wanted to see this, this off or in this, uh, this season. Yeah, definitely. And Dwayne Casey said that, and, and this obviously, this obviously seemed to be the case, even, even from the outside that everybody stayed committed, enthusiastic, despite their early struggles, you know, and by early struggles, you really mean more than half of the season. Which again, I think is the credit is a credit to the personnel that that the front office has brought in, and and also to Dwayne Casey himself. 
who we've criticized before and will again for his actual in-game coaching, but as a floor <laughs> raiser and, and a culture builder and just uh, in terms of developing young players is just does have a good history. And uh, in the past, I, you know, when he was the, when he was brought in to win with the Pistons, obviously wasn't too happy. And I look back at his uh, history of developing players and it's like, you know, you know, this causation really, excuse me, this correlation really imply causation here. Uh, and I would guess at this point that the answer is yes. He does actually seem to be genuinely good at it. But uh, something else, uh, just, to, just to finish this out, that's, that, that Weaver said is he really compared drafting to college recruitment. He said you try to bring in the right guys and hope, you know, and, and you built the right environment with the coaching and support staff to help them grow. So, I mean, you, you just you really want to have the right environment and then you bring them in and, and hope that, you know, and you're giving yourself the best chance of good things happening. So, yeah, I mean, looking ahead to free agency, uh, of course, what they do is going to depend on the draft. Weaver said that he feels like they have a good balance of veterans right now. Uh, I'm quite confident that Kelly Olenek will be back. Who knows about Jeremy Grant? Uh, Corey Joseph, probably. Rodney Magruder wouldn't be too sad to see him back as 15th man. And uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a big off season. I think it's just going to be really focused on the same style of developments that the team has approached the last two off seasons with, and. You know, and then they, they see where the team goes. Uh, I think that everybody is ready for uh, to, to cheer for wins rather than losses. Though, not out of the question that the Pistons are, let's say, 10th late in the next season and they're out of play in range, and then you start rooting, rooting for losses, but you haven't had a whole season of it. So, all right. Uh, before we move on, just a quick word from our sponsors. The NBA playoffs mean next-level basketball. Get in on a first-round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team and win uh, to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Can buy multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your game same-game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do now, just really a lead into our draft series, is go over our top seven big boards. So, yeah. Uh, anybody who's who listened last year and the year before and knows that Tommy and I are, are big draft junkies. He used to be more of a draft junkie than I am. I think I've caught up. <laughs> yeah, probably, man. I mean, we talk about it fairly often. And we were kind of comparing notes on these guys all throughout the season, through the college season. And, uh, I mean, March Madness ended up sucking from a talent evaluation oh, standpoint because awful. all the key guys were out in, like, the first and second round. Oh, but, first, uh, second, you know, yeah. By the Sweet yeah. 16. Yeah, excuse me. By the Elite Eight, it was just Paolo and, uh, and A.J. Griffin. And Mark Williams, yeah. if you count him. Right. But, I mean, the draft is fun, for us at least. I mean, there's so many opportunities to bring in guys who can make your team better, especially you know, we right now we don't know where the Pistons will be picking. But you know, there are interesting names all up and down the, the top seven. Uh, we have some agreements and some disagreements, but we're going to go over our top seven here. And uh, I don't know, do you want to kick it off with your number one or you want me to go first? Uh, I know you're very, you're much more enthusiastic about your number one guy than I am about mine. Yeah, my first guy is Jabari Smith Jr., 6'10", wing, not wing, forward out of Auburn. And uh, it really comes down to the three-point shooting for me. It's, I'm not going to go too in-depth on this. We're going to get to those single prospect episodes where we'll be able to do some deep dives. But 
My philosophy with this draft class is, and just team building going forward is putting guys around Cade who can finish the plays he creates. And one of the things that this team desperately needs is more floor spacing, especially floor spacing that is respectable. There are those pictures that you've seen on Twitter and social media just of Cade getting mobbed by all five guys on the opposing team because they respect him far more than they respect the guys who are sharing the floor with him. I think Jabari Smith Jr. immediately addresses that need uh, and is another guy out there who is going to put pressure on the defense um, as a as a three-point shooter because we definitely need that. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it goes beyond just being a, a basic three-point shooter. I mean, the guy is, is six foot ten, or who knows? These are NCAA heights. He, you know, he might be like six eight and three quarters. It's possible, but definitely tall. So a, a jumbo shooter who's got a sweet stroke, a high release, and can shoot over guys, over smaller guys. He can shoot through close coverage. Can do some three-point shooting in isolation. So uh, not just a three-point shooter and a guy who could, even if he doesn't develop beyond spot-ups uh, and, and isolations and maybe a little bit of motion threes, could be one of the elite three-point shooters in the league. So definitely more spacing. And the primary concern about him right now is can he develop into more? You know, can be a guy who creates some offense off the dribble because if he develops a pull-up game, then fantastic. Can he take advantage of the close coverage by driving past guys? He can attack closeouts already. Um, but... Even if he can't do that, I feel like just as a guy who can do that, who can who can be an elite perimeter shooter, and who is with a seven foot one wingspan, is is a long, strong, and switchable defender, uh, who can fit into any lineup and provide value in any system. I, I think just the floor there, even is very enticing, and the ceiling I would say is as high as anyone's in the draft. Yep. I think he could easily become a second option if he really gets his shot together and becomes a more dynamic player. And the other thing I really like about Jabari is that I think he would be a great culture fit. You know, he's definitely a guy who takes pride in defense, plays with a lot of energy. He's very animated out there. And I think that that's the sort of player that Weaver really likes, you know, and then there are these little indications that he is open to the idea of playing for the Pistons. Uh, We've seen some stuff on social media that they really like Detroit. Excited, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. They just really seem to like what Detroit is building, the idea of playing with Cade. So I think that it's a really natural fit there. So very potentially exciting. And uh, I would be very happy to see Jabari Smith Jr. on the Pistons. So you have where, where do you have him on your board? Uh, so for me, I would say maybe about one and a half. So I'm really just constantly waffling back and forth between he and Chet Holmgren. Jabari, definitely the safer pick. Uh, and and has does have a very high ceiling. Uh, there's just something about Chet that I think that that is very intriguing, and uh, it's not only that he's a potentially game changing defender, and and he is. Uh, it's it's just what he could put together at his size on both ends of the floor is if he can put on weight. Of course, this is a guy who if he didn't have concerns, if he wasn't very thin right now. I mean, the guy's 195 pounds at seven foot one. Uh, he is very thin, like. Uh, Carson Edwards, who's who is pretty beefy for his position, is five foot eleven and one hundred and two hundred pounds. <laughs> I mean, just just to give you some contrast there. I mean, Chet is extremely thin, and there are questions about his ability to gain weight. And if those weren't there, I think he would absolutely be the runaway number one overall pick. You know, if he were twenty pounds heavier. So, but a guy who plays all around elite defense, just an excellent interior defender with excellent defensive IQ and an elite shot blocker. Uh, watching him play brings to mind for me. Rudy Gobert to a degree, like you'll see Rudy Gobert uh, challenge guys who are driving toward the net, and they just generally give up. It's not worth driving into Rudy Gobert and trying to score at the basket. It's it's just a it's a waste of a possession. 
at, you know, at, at, the, at your very best, you're doing it because the shot clock is, is just about run out and you have no other choice. So yeah, you see Chet, I uh, saw Chet in, in the NCAA uh, as an interior defender, alter shots, block shots, prevent shots from being attempted. And he could just be an, an excellent defender at the NBA level who could also stretch the floor. Uh, he was a promising shooter, an excellent finisher around the rim, about 84%. And also just a guy with, with a high motor and a great attitude who never backs down physically. Yeah, yeah. He definitely plays with a little bit of an edge to him, which I'm sure Detroit fans will appreciate. But yeah, the mobility with which he plays and the length, obviously those physical tools, it's all functional. He makes the absolute most of it. He is able to get to spots to contest, go straight up, and he makes shots very, very difficult. You know, he's he's a different type of center because you see it when he played in college. Like guys are not used to playing against centers who are able to get to their positions that fast and contest that high. They just don't they they can't physically process it fast enough, and they end up putting some wild shots up. So I definitely think that he's the sort of like it's like you said, he's potentially game changing. That's a great way of putting it. He's like a new breed of center who is just very mobile and can space the floor. So yeah, Chet, if we end up with him, would not be mad at all. I think he's a great potential fit. Yeah, the question just comes back to the weight. I mean, the guy is very thin right now and has all the markings of an extreme ectomorph. I mean, he may just struggle to gain weight, period. It's not something that everybody can do. I mean, with people on the extreme end of that scale genetically, you can try, but they just may not gain that weight. Who knows? It's hard to say. And if he can't gain that weight, it can be hard for him at center because in the NBA, guys will just really just bully him out of the way. And even though Chet can usually, like, even if he's in the NCAA, even if he was pushed below the basket, he's got such good positioning in, in, in terms of his body and his arms that he could usually alter or block the shot anyway. But like, if you look at Isaiah Stewart's highway screens, Isaiah Stewart, excuse me, highway screens, for example, he just, he comes in and he just holds the center in place on the edge of, uh, on the edge of the key. And you get an open way up. Basically, K took advantage of that a lot. Like a lot of guys would be able to do that to Chet. And then it's like, okay, you're a great rim protector, but you're too far away to contest. So sorry. And I think we would see that constantly. And I don't think he's got, he doesn't have the mobility of Mobley. Mobley, who you can play at, I still think his best position is center. You can play him at power forward. He can still do great. Chet doesn't have that much mobility. I think you lose a lot from playing him in any position but center. Right. Yeah, the difference between those two guys is Mobley. He's a fantastic switch defender on the perimeter. Absolute, absolutely devastating presence on the floor. Chet is a little bit more simple. I think he's just going to be a really, really good drop defender. And once you get him to the rim, he's just going to alter shots there. But I, I, I do like Chet a lot. I've grown on him certainly as the season's gone on. I have him number two on my board. All right, so who is number three on your board? And this is a rhetorical question because I already know the answer. It's a guy we've argued about <laughs> quite a bit over the last <laughs> few months. Yeah, uh, it's Jaden Ivey, and really it comes down to the perceived ceiling because I'll certainly agree with you. Like The fit is not natural. Uh, when I talk about what I see him potentially doing, it is kind of taking certain parts of his game that I think could improve and specifically developing them. Like Obviously, Cade Cunningham is the point guard of this team. He needs to be the primary ball handler, but Jaden Ivey in college was also a guy who played with the ball in his hands a lot, and the reason that was was because his athleticism was so devastating and he was able to get to the rim uh, with such force that you wanted him to have the ball in his hands a lot, even though technically he was a combo guard who played with another point guard. Uh, Jaden Ivey was definitely at his best or most effective with the ball in his hands. But um, the reason I have him so high is because in this draft, there's a lot of guys who just don't have 
the best in terms of ceiling. Uh, and Jaden Ivey, he does not have that problem. He's probably going to enter the NBA as a top 20, top 15 athlete. And this team desperately lacks athleticism. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, it definitely needs more of it. And, and Ivy definitely will be an elite athlete team at the NBA level. Uh, fantastic burst, fantastic top speed, excellent body control, excellent leaping. And yeah, the issue I have with him is, like you said, fit. So Cade's a guy who's at his best by far when he's on the ball, and he's already very good on the ball, handling it on heavy volume uh, on, on a high pick and roll. And I think he's he's definitely going to get better, like quite a bit better. So you don't want a guy who's going to lose a lot of value when he's off the ball. And that's my concern about Ivy, who is at his best attacking downhill, just atta- attacking the rim, uh, downhill, downhill, excuse me, with the ball in his hands. And he may be uh, at his best as a lead guard on heavy possession at the NBA level. So, you know, there's the possibility he could develop uh, a solid off-ball game to, to get good value next to Cade. You know, a guy who just comes around screens and gets a pass off the run from Cade and finishes at the rim. You know, he had he showed some promise as a, as a deep three-point shooter, maybe a guy who can become a good motion shooter. He can definitely cut, though. Cuts aren't a big source of offense in the NBA level. Defense, defenders and defenses are very good at stopping those. So my, my question is, can you get enough off-ball utility from him as, as really a secondary handler that makes him worthwhile fielding him next to Cade? Because there are questions on defense, too, and about his shooting, which was very inconsistent to end the season. Right. He definitely started really strong, which was encouraging. Uh, he was one of the few sophomores on this list. And last year at Purdue, or his freshman year at Purdue, he ended up shooting 26%. This year, he ended up shooting a hair under 36%. Uh, he had some nights in the tournament where he shot decently well, and then I think he had like a, a one of eight shoot uh, from three showing. So up and down, certainly. And yeah, like you said, it is contingent on him developing this off-ball game, which is not the most natural fit to him defense but, also yeah and when you when you talk about what you want him to become it is contingent on him just focusing on certain parts of his game and functionally cutting out uh, some very useful parts of his game so yeah i agree that it's not, not the most natural fit but when you consider the ceiling and like the guys who can reasonably turn into star players uh, i think ivy is one of the few guys in this draft who uh, can get there yeah, but uh, will he find it next to Cade is the question, and will he develop the ability to to make the right reads? Whatever we can get into this, we'll be we'll be doing a, a pretty deep preview on him. Uh, the defense is a question too. He was not a good pick and roll defender this season, uh, and not the greatest ISO defender either. Uh, well, that though that was well whatever. Not the greatest defender. We'll put it that way. If he can really fully buy into a, into a primarily off ball role, and he's excited about that, then great. And hopefully he can put it together. But like, yeah, the shooting at the end of the season, 11 of 52 in his last like 13 games or something like that. It was really terrible. So even that isn't for sure. Where would you put um, him on your board? Oh man, this is where things get really kind of nebulous for me. <laughs> um, I'm almost at this point, like thinking like, you know, who knows, maybe Shaden Sharp is, is the best guy at number three. Uh, but that'll really be contingent upon him. Is it his, performance in the combine if me and if he comes in and blows the combine away and uh it does great in interviews you know he might be number three because i think he's the guy who's, who's the likeliest best fit next to kate and fit is a big fit with kate is a big consideration now we both agree on that yeah is he the next guy on your board so i mean might be number four at that point honestly but that's that's a, that's a mark for me of just how weak this draft is who do you have at uh your number three Number three would be sharp, but that's hard to say. I mean, number three for Ooh. me is trade is number three for me is trade down territory. 
is the trouble. <laughs> uh, at, at that point, it's like, you know, maybe we can see what we can get elsewhere. Uh, but I mean, I think the thing is, it, if you're at number three, it's possible that Boncaro is already gone. And then and then you have your choice between Chet and Jabari. So Shaden Sharp is kind of uh, occupying right now a, a holding, uh, just a holding spot at number three for me, which would put Ivy at, at number four. Okay. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but, you know, because Shaden's kind of just like a placeholder. Here's what we know about Shaden. Uh, he's, he's, he's quite athletic. Uh, and the trouble is this is all high school stuff, but they're good pull-up shooter, good three-point shooter, very athletic, drives aggressively to the basket, just good all-around guy, with a good wingspan, and, and just a good NBA body who can play strong defense. And if you think that's what he can provide, if he does well at the combine, he does well in interviews, uh, that's a player worth taking a chance on in, in, in this year's draft. And I think if he does well at the combine and if he does well in interviews, he'll go in the top five. But he's a placeholder there just because this draft is like, after the first two, I think for the Pistons, it becomes kind of like choosing between the best of guys who aren't the best fits. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been hesitant to try to go in on Sharp, but I, I really like his archetype. I'm I'm really big into drafting certain archetypes, you know, guys, especially who are like floor spacers, athletic. And Shaden Sharp, you know, just from his description, like what you just said, he sounds like a phenomenal fit. The issue, of course, is just that it's all coming from high school. And yeah. the jump from high school, even like, you know, huge AAU play, whatever, it's an enormous leap. Yeah. And we don't know how it's functionally going to stack up. So the combine, assuming that he goes and that he chooses to show off his skills, it's going to be huge for him. And it's going to be huge for talent evaluation. I mean, if he plays poorly, maybe he falls. If he plays really well in this draft, honestly, he could go top three. I think ESPN has him ranked at like number six right now. And this is all just based on his high school film. And he didn't even get, he didn't play a minute at at Kentucky. No, he didn't. He came in. The reason he didn't play just for those listening. Well, of course, for those listening is that he (laughs) came actually enrolled in Kentucky in January. And so he was not with the team in the fall. uh, And um, Calipari, right? At Kentucky. Yeah. uh, Just thought it wasn't fair to just throw him in the fire, so to speak. Now, Shaden has declared for the draft halfway. A lot of players do this. You can go in as long as you don't hire an agent. You can withdraw by the NCAA draft withdrawal deadline, which is around a week after the combine ends. So he'll be there. Uh, So, yeah, uh, we'll find out more there. All right, who's your number five? I have, well, I actually have Sharp at number six. So my number four is Ben Matherin. And he's another guy. Yeah, he's another guy that people will, well, are really is, starting yeah. to get high on, yeah. and this and like, this is one of the things that midway through the season there was like this debate of Ben Matherin versus Johnny Davis, and uh-huh. I never, I never <laughs> saw it. Johnny Davis, that's a good yeah. One. I don't think either of us have him in our top seven, but I'm really happy oh, no. that Matherin is uh, is really starting to pick up hype because he is probably the most natural fit uh, as a guard in this draft, assuming that well, just kind of factoring in that we don't really know what Shaden is. Um, he is kind of like your prototypical 3-and-D shooting guard. And you look at his percentages, 36.9 from three, athletic. Uh, he had some really big moments in the tournament, uh, some clutch game winners and big plays. You know, Definitely not a guy who shies away from the moment. So as a natural fit and like a guy who's going to, be, going to be able to come around screens and put the ball up, uh, I really like his potential fit with the Pistons. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I just poo-pooed Johnny Davis, absolutely. I don't think highly of what he's going to be in the NBA. Uh, <laughs> just the, the 
uh, probably an an inefficient shot creator who's not very athletic and competes hard on defense, but probably doesn't really do all that well at it. Who knows? That or Devin Booker. Uh, yeah, I don't think so, but maybe, maybe I'll end up looking like a fool. Who knows? Uh, just at this point, uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm laughing at him because I mean, it's a terrible idea for the Pistons. He might be a good NBA player. I don't think so, but I think he's a, he's a terrible fit with the Pistons. Yeah. So, uh, about Matherin, uh, yeah, it could be a good fit. It definitely looks like a good positional fit. Uh, a guy who's very athletic, a very good off ball mover, a guy who can shoot motion threes. Uh, he's got a good degree of explosiveness. Uh, he can attack the basket. And can do it well just an excellent motor and energy um yeah again athleticism fast good leaping ability uh, yeah he's fairly simple like he's just kind of like that off-ball guy who's not going to dictate too much usage from Cade and uh can finish some of those plays another guy who can potentially space the floor and we definitely need that but yeah, he's, he's I, pretty cut and dry i mean i think that if he's if he strengthens his handle i think he's a guy who could create off the dribble as well uh you know maybe in a pick and roll in which he did if i remember correctly pretty he was fairly efficient in the ncaa and uh, he is listed at 6'7", under speculation that he's only about 6'5", 6'9", wingspan, whatever. And he'll be about 20 at the draft, despite having come in, uh, despite having played a sophomore season at Arizona. So something to look at, his level of focus and effort on defense, obviously that's a big thing. And if the Pistons, if, if Weaver and the rest of the front office have concerns about that, uh, I don't think he'll be coming to Detroit. But yeah, your question, you know, who knows, can be better than a role player is the question. And I think that he has that capacity. Uh percentage chance he's going to get there who knows but uh yeah he he would be number five for me as well um, okay yeah yeah uh so there's a name that everybody is waiting for i'm going to put him number six and that's paulo boncaro if i would rather he'll never make it to number six i mean <laughs> like but if he's there if the peasants are picking number three and he's there i would i would rather that they trade down or just not take him i think very there are two things here Number one, or really three things here. Number one is fit with Cade. I, I have a very low opinion of, of Boncaro's level of off-ball utility in the NBA. Uh, this also ties in with number two, which is that he's not athletic, and fielding him alongside Cade and Bay would mean three would mean poor athleticism on a lineup wide scale, and you really want to avoid that. But because Paulo is at the NBA level a poor leaper, is poor in terms of burst, poor in terms of quickness. I mean, he can't be a role. He can't be a role man. He's not going to be a lob threat. He's going to have trouble attaining off-ball separation. And that just means, like, when he's not on the ball, he can maybe shoot spot-up threes. And that's not enough. That's a drastic loss of uh, loss of utility when he's playing next to what's going to be a very on-ball Cade Cunningham. Uh, so uh, what's number three? Goodness, what was I thinking? Um, yeah, I guess the, the off-ball utility. But fit with Cade is poor. Athleticism fit is poor. Oh yeah, number three. He attempts his his game is based on attempting a lot of difficult offense off the dribble from the perimeter, and who knows if that right. will translate. But he's got to have the ball to do it. Yep, that that's really what it boils down to for me. The fit is awful, in my opinion. Like everything that he does is, for the most part, it's on ball. Um, and he is a he, he'd be fine on ball if he was more efficient. But do you really want to take the ball out of Cade's hands so much that Paulo becomes like a really good, useful pick? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not so sure about that. And then, like you said, like if he was a a good vertical athlete, like if he could go up and catch lobs, I'd be pretty excited about the potential of adding him. I mean, yep. he is a good yeah. passer. Be like John Collins if, type of player, right? And yeah, if, run on the with his roll. passing, he could be like a good short roll guy. Like either he goes up and he finishes, or he can kick it out. Like that would be a really good pick and roll duo. But unfortunately, he's just not that athletic. You'll see yeah. in his highlight compilations, like he'll throw down some big dunks, but. It's almost always with like a decent runway. 
you know, kind yeah. of like Isaiah Stewart, when he has that open driving lane, he will, he can, he can throw it down pretty hard, but he doesn't have like that just on two feet straight up and down athleticism, unfortunately. So really not a fan of his fit. Uh, I'm not high on his shooting potential. And then he, even his weight, like people talk about how he's 250 pounds, 6'10". Like he's, he's like this big beast of a player. Um, he gets stopped short on drives a lot. And that ends up with him shooting a lot of these turnaround jumpers from mid range, hate that shot. So not big yeah. on Apollo to the Pistons. His defense also. I mean, he's, I don't, yeah. I think his defensive, uh, defensive IQ is poor. <laughs> Certainly his positioning is poor. Uh, he's definitely attackable in, uh, in the pick and roll and in switches and, his effort seems to be very poor also. And it's like, eh, yeah. So all around, I think not a good player for the Pistons. And I just want to bring this up again. Like um, it's said that talent is King talent is a big facet of it, but on court value is King. Like what you can provide on the court is King. And if you're, if you're fit with, uh, with the, the team's franchise player is terrible and the value you're going to provide is not very good. Right. Just going back to that, that thing I said earlier when I was talking about Jabari Smith, like my philosophy for adding talent to this team is can you finish the the plays that Kate is creating? I really don't think that Paulo is going to do that all that well. We haven't done player comps for most of these guys, but I'm going to say that my I comp like this for Paulo. <laughs> yeah. I, I still, I think it's, de- it's decent. It's, it's Pistons, Blake Griffin, but with worse shooting. Worse athleticism too. I mean, Blake was still a better athlete than Paulo at that point. Um, sure. Well, yeah, we can talk about this in the Paulo episode. Yeah. I, I have I him number seven it. on my board. I'm really not eyeing him. Yeah, I don't like that comp, but uh, um, okay. So that was number six for me. Um, well, I yeah. guess we know who's number seven for you, but uh, yeah. who who would come next for you? I have Keegan Murray number five on my board, and it's not a pick that I'm super enthused about. But I mean, I think from a you know organizational fit perspective, I think he's decent. Uh, there are indications that the the organization is really high on him. I'm probably a little bit influenced by that, and. There are reasons. I mean, I, I trust Troy Weaver's eye for, you know, good personalities. And it's not the worst fit in the world. Um, but I just don't think that his ceiling is all that high. Like, what I think this team really needs now is, like, a second option. And I don't see Keegan Murray being that good. But, you know, he's he's decent. He's a six foot eight forward, 6'11 wingspan, physical guy. Likes to get in, like, the post, play, you know, physically down low. But he's also a capable three-point shooter. Uh, he ended up with uh, 39.8% from distance, and that's good. But he's just not that dynamic, I guess. And his burst is kind of lacking. So he's not like that elite athlete who's, doing, who's going to mix it up and create advantages with athleticism. I just feel like he's a role player, uh, but a good role player. So that's that's kind of where I'm at on it with, with Keegan Murray. But I have him fifth on my board. I, I think he'll be a solid player in the NBA but he's not super exciting to me. Yeah, I would say for me, I just, again, wind up wide athleticism is a thing. I mean, he's not a good half-court athlete. He relied a great deal on his strength in the NCAA, and that's not going to cut it in the NBA for obvious reasons. He'll be strong, but you know, he's, he's not going to be able to get by and just bullying his way to the basket. And He did a lot of scoring in the post just on drop-step hooks and whatnot. That's not going to, you're not going to get that in the NBA. So I, I also have concerns over his fit with Sadiq because they play similarly, both guys who really try to try to bowl their way into the interior uh, and just use their strength in the interior. Sadiq's gotten good at it. You don't want two guys occupying that same role. And then the question, there's the question of ceiling, you know, could be kind of like a high level role player maybe, 
But if you're looking for like the complete role player, his defense is a question mark too. His ability to switch onto guards because his foot, you know, his, his lateral mobility isn't great. So he's a guy I don't find very exciting. He could be versatile, but he'd have to change his game quite a bit at the NBA level. You know, he's, he was a great college player this season, like great college player. But there are plenty of guys who are great college players who have who struggle at the NBA level. Right, that jump in athleticism that's required. I mean, some players really, really struggle with that. Yeah, and who knows? You know, maybe he can. I mean, there's also the fact that he's going to be about 22 with the draft. That's not great, but you know, who knows? Maybe like if he were a better leaper, I'd feel better about him. In transition, I mean, he's he's a fine athlete, but we're talking half court here, and half courts where you're playing the vast majority of uh, of your opportunities. So, uh, I might have him number seven, maybe. All right, so we'll end the episode with a couple of listener submitted questions. First one. If the Pistons draft Jabari Smith, does it make it more pertinent to trade Grant to help Jabari develop better, or should Grant get traded regardless of who gets drafted? I think the organization has shown that they're kind of willing to move on from Grant anyway, but if the Pistons end up with Jabari Smith, I definitely think that they are more likely to trade him. Uh, There's a bit of overlap there because Sadiq Bey is definitely a core piece, and I think he's best as a three or a four, and Jabari Smith Jr. should be a core piece and a future piece, and he's also at his best as a three or a four. So I think that Jeremy becomes the odd man out there. So to answer your question, yeah, I definitely think it does become more important to free up those minutes, uh, give Jabari Smith all the opportunity, all the, uh, the run to, to improve in the league, because, you know, I think this is a point that you've made on here plenty of times, Mike, the best way for these guys to develop is for them to get minutes, uh, get that opportunity to be out on the floor and feel it out. So definitely uh, I, I would want to trade Grant, all the more if we end up with Jabari Smith. Yeah, I agree. He's, I would say that he's ready to start at this point, regardless. You want to get him the most minutes you can get. So ideally get him in the starting lineup. So yeah, in that case, I mean, the, the factor is, can you get what you want for Grant? But if you don't trade him at some point, I think by August, uh, because if, if you extend Grant, then you're going to run into the six month trade moratorium because it, he'll get uh, an extension. That's an excess of what's called the, uh, of uh, the threshold of an extended trade. So yeah, it would be a six month moratorium on trading him. And after a certain point in August, he would not even be able to be traded by the trade deadline. So could be a weird situation there. Uh, I don't think the Pistons want to sell low on him, but you know, so you could conceivably see a situation in which Jabari Smith comes off the bench. I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world. So I would say, if he's drafted and the Pistons have a good offer or maybe a little bit less than they would like, then yeah, I, I would go with that. But otherwise, not the worst thing in the world to carry Grant in the next season. Uh, for the record, I don't think that my idea of playing him as a jumbo shooting guard is really very viable because I don't think it'd really be a great idea to ask him to defend shooting guards. I think uh, it would be interesting. <laughs> it would be interesting. If you can make that work, then congratulations. You have an absolute and utter matchup nightmare and probably a lineup full of guys who are 6'6 six, six and taller and very long. Yep. So yeah, the, uh, the second size lineup of the NBA. Yeah. So the, well, yeah, I think we both agree that Stewart's not the guy going forward, but we've talked about that. Uh, we've talked about that a lot. We can talk about it more in the future. Uh, now the second part of the question, should Grant get traded regardless of who gets drafted? Uh, no. So if the Pistons draft somebody who plays at shooting guard, for example, uh, there's no urgent need to get rid of Grant at that point. And who knows, maybe you carry him moving forward. The only question about him is his age, because he's going to be 29 when he signs his next, when he, if he signed, when his contract ends, he'll be 29. And uh, if the Pistons are competing in two years, he's at the beginning of the point at which a lot of players start to decline. 
So do you want a younger guy and, and a better timeline to replace him, perhaps? But I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if he stays. He just maybe will have to be fine playing as, like if you get Ivy and he pans out, you kind of, or maybe even if Chet, uh, you might have Jeremy needing to be fine with being like the number three B option. Uh, okay, so and do you disagree with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, on this show, I've said that Grant could still fit the timeline, so I do agree with you. You don't necessarily have to trade him. Uh, but regarding this question, yeah, um, if you if you look at if you're looking at a logjam of forwards, especially guys who could all reasonably be starters and contribute, uh, yeah, I think Grant is the odd man out. But it is somewhat dependent on who you draft. Okay, okay. And our other question, if you had to define what measure, if any, a level of success found from within this less desirable season, what would that be for you? Um, I would say that definitely saw quite a bit of growth from Sadiq. You saw quite a bit of growth from Kate over the course of the season. Uh, Killian Hayes showed some flashes, some signs of life. Um, Jeremy Grant, after the All-Star break, Weaver had said that he spoke with Jeremy during his injury and asked him to play a more efficient game. And Grant came out and did that. So that was progress. Um, what Weaver said, I can't measure this about the players learning what has to, what they have to do to win. I mean, I guess that would be progress. And also the fact that the Pistons ended with the third best odds. Well, they have the same odds as, uh, as the, as the top two at, uh, at a top four pick. So those would be the things. Yeah. For me, I would just take a step back and I would even just say that as the season wore on, like these guys developed chemistry and learned to play together. Uh, a great example is Sadiq. You know, he started off the season as like a guy who was really struggling to pass. And I'm not sure if it was just because it was the NBA and it's a level up on competition because in his days at Villanova, like that team moves the ball fairly well. If you're a Villanova guy, like you come into the league NBA ready. But part of that is just that they know how to play as a team. Uh, so as the season wore on, like I definitely think that a lot of the improvements that were made can be uh, credited to just the fact that the team played better together. So that's that's a big success in my mind. You know, as the team kind of solidifies its core in a few years, uh, at some point the next big step is just going to be them developing chemistry, learning to play together, uh, learning to anticipate each other's moves. There was a, a snippet that Casey had mentioned that Cade knows where guys are supposed to be. And I think that that's going to come with reps. So that's another big success for the season. Fair enough. All right. Any closing thoughts and social media? Yeah. Uh, once again, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. We're on Twitter at to the basket pod, T O the basket pod. Uh, if you're on Apple, please consider leaving a review. If you're on Spotify, give us a rating. Uh, and yeah, once again, thank you guys so much for listening. All right, folks. So we will catch you in the next episode. 